0: The Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Music provided by the 48th Islanders of Canada. Today's guest, Chief Warrant Officer Terry Garand, CD, Base Chief Warrant Officer of CFB Kingston and Corps Chief Warrant Officer of the Royal Canadian Infantry Corps.
1: I think that's the first time you realize how much your actions impact on other people when you live in a section or in a platoon on a course where everyone else must take account for your actions, not just yourself. And then you learn to curb your enthusiasm sometimes or your eagerness to act out and more of the group than the individual.
0: Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. As I said in last episode, I am now a captain, so I'm no longer a Chief Warrant Officer and my next parade night or the next opportunity that I will serve as a captain in the Canadian Army will be Christmas dinner for the Gray and Simcoe Foresters. I'm looking forward to that. We're leaving tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock in the morning to go to Owen Sound for the Change of RSM Parade where Chief Warrant Officer Bruce Bernard will hand over to his successor Chris Paulew. Change of RSM is always an exciting time in a regiment's history. Before I get started with today's episode, I want to introduce a concept to the show, something that perhaps people who are just curious about the military wouldn't know, or people who are not deeply involved in the Canadian Army wouldn't be specifically in the know of. Today, my guest is Chief Warrant Officer Terry Garan, and Terry is the Base Chief Warrant Officer of CFB Kingston. However, that's his primary job. His secondary duty is the Corps Chief Warrant Officer for the Royal Canadian Infantry Corps. That's a title that is passed down from Chief Warrant Officer to Chief Warrant Officer, and he is essentially the custodian of infantry skills within the Canadian Army. Him, as well as the person who is designated as the Infantry Corps Commandant, they are the command team that represents all infantry, reg, and reserve in the Canadian Army. There are several other Combat Arms Corps Chiefs as well. The Corps Chief of the Royal Canadian Armored Corps is Chief Warrant Officer Lachlan, The Corps Chief of the Royal Regiment of Canadian Artillery is Chief Warrant Officer Rusk. And the Corps Chief of the Royal Canadian Engineers is Chief Warrant Officer Alain Gamal. These five Chief Warrant Officers represent the core of each of their combat arms skills and competencies. And today it's my privilege to interview one of these Corps Chiefs. Chief Warrant Officer Terry Gran. started with the Royal 22nd Regiment. He served in Valcartier, and when I met him he was the Chief Warrant Officer of the Infantry School in Gagetown. That appointment had him serving in Gagetown at the Combat Training Center. He was an excellent resource to call upon when I had questions about infantry corps training and infantry corps skills and development. Now what had happened in the past was the Infantry Corps Chief was also the Infantry School Chief and it was essentially those two roles were melded. When Chief Warrant Officer Grant stepped away from being the School Chief and he became the Base Chief Warrant Officer in Kingston, Ontario, he retained that Infantry Corps Chief Warrant Officer status. And I believe, I have to confirm this, but I believe the reason that he held on to that is because they wanted a Senior Appointment Chief Warrant Officer to hold that appointment of the Corps Chief. And that seems to fit well with the fact that the other Corps Chiefs for the other combat arms trades are also Senior Appointment Chiefs. Here's my episode with Chief Warrant Officer Terry Garan. Chief Warrant Officer Garan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mike. (laughs) So, Terry, you and I first met at the Senior Appointments course in St. Jean, In 2013.
1: We did, Mike. Actually, we first met the uh, email uh, work group when we were working on our projects and our homework group to submit.
0: The distant learning portion. The learning
1: portion, where we actually get to read each other's bios and find out who we're talking to and challenge each other with different ways of answering the problems and the questions that are addressed to us during the course. So it was really interesting talking with you and then meeting you in person.
0: Yeah, I think you were quite handy at sniping down some of my points. (laughs) (laughs) Who's this grand guy?
1: (laughs) All in good fun. And and I think it was good because the job was to challenge ourselves and to challenge others. And I think we did a good job at it. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it was a good course. Really enjoyed meeting yourself, reservists, Reg Force, Army, Navy, Air Force. It was an interesting course. I'd go back and do it again, I think, Mike.
0: Yeah, what a variety of people we had, too. We had sea jock guys. We had reservists from just about every brigade. We had the CMBG guys out. And then our mentors, our class instructors, were three of the four top chief horn officers in Canada. And that was a privileged platform for us to have access to them for a full what was it a full week of no distractions at the unit level and unrestricted access to our senior appointment people.
1: And I still to this day don't know how they found the time to take that whole week off to spend it with us and mentor us for a week. It mm-hmm. was amazing. I can imagine what they had to catch up to when they went back.
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: The thing I found really interesting too was my exposure to the Navy, which I don't get a lot of as an infantier, and seeing what it's like, not seeing, but actually hearing what it's like on the ship and the different culture at sea compared to... The life of an infantry was uh, it was an amazing discussion with my Navy friends.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They have a different concept of the command team. For them, the command team is the CO and the XO, where for us, the command team is the CO or the commander and the sergeant major. So they have a different relationship, and it's interesting to contrast those differences.
1: Well, it was, because the Air Force tend to, we see more often they have the same approach we do. But I guess a life on a ship makes it a little different than what the way we work.
0: So, Terry, I sent you the questions in advance. Are you all set?
1: I guess. The best I can be.
0: All right. So, why did you choose to join the Canadian Armed Forces?
1: It was an easy one. I was born in Montreal, and I moved to Ottawa, and I was raised in Ottawa. started off in the scouts, and then about 12 years old, I joined the Air Cadets in Ottawa, which was 706, back then Lion Squadron, Hmm. and I really, really enjoyed the Air Cadets. I don't know if he enjoyed me as much as I enjoyed it. I was a little immature back then, but it was a great learning experience, learning everything from the science of flight, drill, living in a group and group dynamics, and getting people to push you further than you'd normally push yourself. And, and I really enjoyed my time in the cadets. And as I got older, I was going 17, going to 18, high school was almost done, and I was looking at what I was going to do in my career, and the became forces seemed like a pretty good option. Right. So at going on 18, I walked down to the recruiter in Ottawa, and said I wanted to join. So they wanted to join like, pretty much right away. And the recruiter says, okay, what do you want? I said, Air Force, because I was an air cadet. <laughs> yeah, air weapons tech is what I was looking at. Fighter planes, the F-18, was pretty new in the early 80s, and it was, seemed like an exciting place to work. Unfortunately, Air Force, the trade wasn't really open immediately. And the recruiter said, well, why don't you just become an infant here? We can get you in in two weeks, and we'll call you when your trade opens. (laughs) It's been 31 years, Mike. I'm still waiting for that call. Waiting
0: for that phone call. Gotcha.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I joined the infantry. I ended up in the Vendus because I spoke a bit of French. Unfortunately, not enough, as I found out later. But I learned. My French got better. I met a whole bunch of different people. A different culture, and it was an amazing time I spent with my regiment in Quebec.
0: Well, I'm pretty much in the same situation here with my son. He's joined the Air Cadets here in Barrie, and he's in his first two months. He's getting started, and he's really enjoying it. He's actually gotten to take the controls of the tow plane in the air, and he thought that was pretty thrilling to be able to fly the airplane for a guy who's only been in the Air Cadets for two months. So quite a thrill. He's really enjoying it. He's looking forward to it every week. And who knows where that'll lead?
1: Oh, it's amazing. The cadet program, be it Army, Navy, or Air Cadets, the Junior Ranger Program are amazing programs for a young to get into. And like I say, it's not just military, the sciences. It's learning all that, the group dynamics and all the opportunities that they offer right. from flying in a plane, glider, etc. It was great. Right. I still bump into a lot of people that were in cadets with me that are wow. in the military of all ranks. And all start off in the cadets.
0: Absolutely. So what was the world like when you joined?
1: <laughs> 1982 was the Falklands, if you remember correctly. Uh-huh. Uh, the British went down, and we just got over that. There was still the IRA, and things were going off. I think it was Grenada. And so it was, uh, the times were pretty busy. The Cold War was going on, and we were all training to fight the Soviets back then.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Did you go to Germany.
1: Yeah, I did. I, I was one of the lucky ones to go uh, in 89, and I was pretty much the last group that went for four or three years, because after that, it was they closed down the base, and right. fortunately the ones that like, arrived after me only got a short tour, so Germany was amazing, yeah. and I was, uh, I was really lucky to get that opportunity.
0: Who would know that 25 years later, we might need those bases again, but anyway, that's all speculation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, sometimes you end up going full circle.
0: So you already touched on a little bit of what you were like when you joined. You talked about being a little immature and easily fooled. So what were you like when you joined?
1: (laughs) Well, that was was basically it. I think people say kids nowadays are different. Oh, they're not. We're all the same. We just got to be a little more honest with ourselves. We're all living for the moment. I was living for the moment back then. It was like whatever's good for me and wasn't looking long term. I wasn't thinking long term. And I've learned now to think further than next week. Although I try not to look at my calendar more today in advance. <laughs> Back then, it was, yeah, it was spend all you can. Don't worry, more money's coming in or, or your friends will take care of you or you'll take care of your friends. And it was just enjoying yourself. Did my first parachute jump at 16. Hmm. I can't remember where I found all that money to pay for, it, but it was an interesting experience. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, I was really enjoying myself. Even when I joined the military, again, a little immature, but I had some good people to sort me out.
0: Yeah, well, I reflect back on what I was like when I joined, and I surely had that same lack of maturity and lack of responsibility. And I guess that's one of the things, that's what your basic training is designed for, to teach you all that stuff. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, then you learn to march really fast with no hat on. Yeah,
1: I think that's the first time you realize how much your actions impact on other people mm-hmm. when you live in a section or in a platoon on a course where everyone else must take account for your actions not just yourself, and then you learn to curb your enthusiasm sometimes or your eagerness to act out and Mm -hmm. more of the group than the individual. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So, Terry, what's your most memorable experience in the Canadian Armed Forces or your greatest achievement?
1: Well, memorable experiences, I could sit here for weeks and just talk to you about them. There's (laughs) not one that's more memorable than the other. I've been blessed with a very good career and a lot of opportunities. But I'd say my greatest achievement, thinking back to that Air Cadet, is making it to the rank I am right now, Chief War Officer, which I never thought I'd make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the help of many sergeants, Master Corporal Sergeants, warrants, and officers that guided me and mentored me to bring me to where I am, the good ones never lost hope and would take the extra time just to make sure, either by giving me extras or (laughs) by sitting me down and talking to me and making sure I understood what my role, my responsibilities were. And it it went down like even the uh, soldiers, good soldiers that I've had that I continue to meet over time. They're the ones that make me proud of where I am nowadays. When I still bump into them, we still talk about the time we spent overseas or the time we spent uh, in the field. To make it to this level now where I can actually go out and talk to these younger privates and corporals and seeing myself in them is amazing. I've made it to chief. It's something amazing that I didn't think I'd ever make it to.
0: Right. And I think it's also important. I mean, there's the whole arrogance of having careerism as a young person, but there's the responsibility or the dedication to your unit of setting your sights high and having a professional desire to achieve the rank of Chief Warrant Officer and give back to the regiment with that extra commitment and the extra responsibility of being the RSM or the base or Brigade Sergeant Major. There is a balance in between the two. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, and then we can't forget that our role is to look after the troops first and to make sure they have what they need to get their job done. Not looking after them doesn't mean making sure they're nice and comfy and they get all the courage. It's making sure they have what's necessary to do their job. We all go through hardships in our job, and it's a shared hardship, and the troops understand that. And with good leadership, things get done. And that's, I think, the job of the chief warrant officer is to do that, to go out and make sure that everyone's doing it right. And the troops are good. They'll tell you, too, if things aren't right. (laughs) And they're uh, they're mature enough nowadays to understand what they're doing. They impress me. Every day I go out and I talk to them. The Impressa me. They're really good troops.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Terry, who is your greatest influence or the most memorable character that you've encountered?
1: Very hard. I thought about this a bit. And I could single up a lot of people. And I'd say the greatest influence was this—I uh, was air cadet in Shukudami during summer camp. I was teaching air crew survival. And one of the sergeants I had, a cadet sergeant, was a girl called Nancy, who uh, was my boss. And I met her. She didn't speak much English. I didn't speak much French. But we got along well. And later on, when I joined the military and got posted to Quebec, I gave her a call. And we started going out. And we've been (laughs) together for 26 years. She's been my biggest influence. She's done so much for me. 26 years we've been married. And you're talking seven tours, exercises, away from home all the time. And she's there. I mean, I just finished another three years IR. And to have a wife to go through all this, to take care of the house, take care of the kids, the homework, the issues, the problems, everything and not complain is is unbelievable. She's the biggest influence I have. Wow. The women we have, our families, are our strength. And without them, we couldn't do our job.
0: Absolutely, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I find myself now in a position where I realize now it's my turn to start paying that back. My son's jumping out into community theater, and he's heading off in his new direction. And I'm starting to ask things of him, and he's starting to say, hang on a second, I've got my stuff on the go. And it's, yeah, okay, I get it. Time for a little bit of payback, not a problem. Yeah. Let's see you through this.
1: But your other job also puts a lot of stress on your family too, because my wife worries when I'm overseas. Your wife must be, it's a hard job you have.
0: Well, I'm kind of lucky. I'm in the training and education bureau, but we do have some close calls in training sometimes as (laughs) well, but that's really not the topic of this podcast.
1: I can imagine. We will
0: save that for another day, but anyhow. We've
1: all been in the training environment, and uh, Mm -hmm. yes. That's where you're there to learn. As long as you can walk away, it was a uh, it was yeah. a learning experience.
0: Absolutely, Terry. Are there any memorable characters that you've encountered? I'm sure the Van Dues have many memorable characters. And oh, les caractères.
1: Oh yes, there are very memorable people that we'd bump into over our, our careers. One used to be the base RSM, Mr. Trank and very low voice, very uh, imposing person who would not give out duties or charges, but would tend to find creative ways to make sure we were punished. And this person used to, troops to be careful not to follow within his, his line of sight, and a lot of respect for Mr. Trank, and I, I bumped into him last week at a Regimental 100th, and we had a good talk and it was nice to see the, the man. He doesn't seem as big and scary as he used to, <laughs> but he's still there. Other people I can think of, Mario Foret, my sergeant I had in the first Gulf War, tremendous influence, an individual who could write a book about leadership and would always be there first. Uh, Mario Forre was the sergeant in Sarajevo one ninety two who put his life on the line to come to the aid of some civilians that were being sniped at and actually saved a lady wow. from direct fire and was given a medal of bravery for that. Mm. And I can go on, Reg Irvine, everyone knows in the infantry world, yeah. chief one officer, Reg Irvine, an amazing individual and also a person that you wouldn't want to get on his bad side. But those are the people that teach you to do your job, to do your duty. And the soldier you are is not when people are looking at you. To be a good soldier, you got to act the same way when you're not being watched. Right. And these are the guys, and we can go on, there's tons of memorable people like that, that when people have a couple beers, we talk about and wonder where they are nowadays.
0: Yeah. Well, Red Irvine is one of your predecessors, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah,
1: He's one of my predecessors, too, yeah. yeah. I think we'll, we'll remember him for a while, for a long time.
0: Yeah, not only as the Infantry Corps Sergeant Major, but as the Infantry School Sergeant Major, one of your previous appointments.
1: Yes, yes. It, and I, I don't think that Mr. Irvine, if you would have looked down at me as a young sergeant back then, would say, yeah, you're going to replace me in uh, 10, 15 <laughs> years. <laughs> I think that was the least in his thoughts. But I'm here, and it must be thanks to a bit of his help, too, and his guidance. Absolutely. Yeah, the heat and light's always good. <laughs> and there's, like, there's a lot of people. There's people also that you bump into on tours. Right. Some interpreters we've had in Bosnia. I don't know if you ever heard about Popeye in Kandahar in the PRT. No.
0: Nope. Nope. He was
1: an Afghan who used to look after the camp. He was there before the troops. He was there during the Russians, and he was there during the Taliban. And this was a great man who lived on the camp, looked after us, selflessly just worked day and night. A great individual. We'd see him, everyone take care of him. And unfortunately, he was killed by the Taliban. Right. But he was uh, just, you know, someone you couldn't talk to. But he was always there, a mm. smile on his face, working hard.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: every country, every tour, we can mention people like that, that that have had an impact on us. People give us want to give us something to eat or to drink when they have nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So We had the LECs in Sierra Leone, the locally employed civilians, and each one of them was a character in itself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's true, eh? And also the civilian workers we run into on tours, too, that come and help ourselves, the, the local police forces that deploy with us, Uh, And the the civilians, too. It's always interesting to see how they perceive what's going on, too. And it's refreshing sometimes. Right. Yeah. It did be boring if it was just us. It's nice to have that mix.
0: Yep. Absolutely. So, Terry, I know you've told me some pretty harrowing challenges you've had to overcome. And I don't know if you're going to go into that territory or if you have something else to think about. But what was the greatest challenge you've had to overcome? Oh. (laughs)
1: Depending on the time, I'd say once was my first jump out of a Herc. When I stood there on the ramp, because the first jump was a ramp jump back then in Edmonton, and I'm standing there all psyched up like everybody else. out holding my static line, and the instructor looks at me and says, uh, you good to go? I said, Yeah. you scared? Not at all. And he says, Look at your knees. And I looked down. And I could watch my knees just shake over my reserve. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that was a good challenge to get out of. And, uh, but I think my greatest challenge is to come, six. Seven years from now, I'll be in retirement. Right. And I see that as a big challenge because my adult life has been spent in uniform. And I'd say even my teen years have been spent as a cadet in uniform, albeit once or twice a week. And now to go get to that point in seven years when I'll retire and turn everything in, it's going to be a hard challenge. Right. Yeah. I've talked to people who've done it. I've seen guys who've succeeded and people who've failed. And the ones that succeed are the ones that plan ahead. So I'm, as an infantier I'm planning. I, uh, I got my motorcycle, my touring bike. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my maps, and hopefully I'll get to do some trips.
0: Yeah, and hopefully it won't snow on you this time. No, right?
1: I. That uh, last <laughs> trip down on our course, it, it was a cold, snowy motorcycle ride. I tell you that. <laughs> no, canoeing, camping, fishing, hunting. These are the things I'm looking forward to with my wife, and just enjoying ourselves, going to see our daughters. My my two uh, great girls, one in Sherbrooke and one in Quebec right now, really proud of them. Spending some time with them and and just enjoying life. It's going to seem strange not getting up early in the morning every day and (laughs) and rushing off to the office, but I think it'll be good. I'm going to miss, though, that group dynamic, and I'll have to find that elsewhere.
0: It'll
1: it'll be hard. There's a whole bunch of retired guys, so it it shouldn't be too bad. But that's what I think is going to be my next challenge.
0: Yeah, agreed. Yeah. That's still far away. I'm not thinking too, too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that I popped by the local Legion and I filled out my application. So hopefully I'll get sworn in, as they say, as a member. And maybe that'll be where I find something to do when I'm done with the uniform as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's good. I joined the Legion in 2004, I think, 4 or 6, I can't remember. It was on tour. And just the support we were getting, I, th- I wanted to give back. So I join as a member at large right now with the travel and the postings, right? And I'm I'm continued as a member. And you're right, Mike. It's a great place to find people like us, and to go. And they do a lot for us. They do a lot of good things. Yeah. And just go out and see what they're doing on Remembrance Day. It's, it's they're amazing people. Mm-hmm. The stuff behind the scene that they do also for the troops, the support they offer. So you're right. That's a good thing. And maybe find a way that I can help give back to. It'd be nice, but we'll see. Our health is pretty good, so I think we've got it for the long run. We've still got have a lot of time to give back. Excellent. Yeah.
0: Well, Terry, we've come to the end of the four questions. Is there anything new or upcoming for you and CFB Kingston?
1: Well, I'm still learning about CFB Kingston and the base and the challenges of working on, on CFB Kingston with so many people spread out with RMC, with Fort Frontenac, with the CDA, with everyone around so many new chief warrant officers I've never met, which is great. And so many new soldiers. I was I got to work a shift in the kitchen, and that was well, that was quite interesting. They had me washing floors, cleaning tables, cutting vegetables, serving people. No one really knew who I was, which was really, really good. And uh, and it was nice. It was nice to see what was going on and the work they do. I did the same thing with the base supply, again, with seamstresses and that. I've been trying to go around the base and, and learn what people are doing I don't think they'll let me drive one of the big vehicles (laughs) because I am an infintero. They might be a little afraid, but it's really great. For now, for the next two years, I'm going to really be enjoying Kingston, discovering Kingston and the people around, including the great people of the city. Right. Uh, Amazing. And hopefully see what my next posting is going to be. And that's always like Christmas, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You, went, you sit there the night before wondering if you've been good or bad all year. <laughs> and uh, I think that's Christmas is almost like the that uh, You wonder if, if you're going to get coal or if you're going to get an orange. <laughs> so uh, in two years, I'll find out if it's going to be coal or orange, and we'll see what direction I'm going to be going. Right. That's pretty much what I'm looking forward to the kinks in the next, next couple of years. As for other challenges, well, I'm still the Corps Chief, and the Infantry Corps has done a lot. We're still moving past Afghanistan and seeing what our next challenges are going to be for our great infanteers.
0: And it's always been a pleasure to have access to the Corps Chief, not only for the infantry, but for the Armored Corps and the other corps as well. I'm in the same building as the Engineer Corps Chief, and it's always great when an issue comes up, you can go directly to the owner if you want to say that and figure out what the truth is quickly.
1: Yeah, and, and I get to talk to them, I get to meet them, all of the different core chiefs, and it's great because we have the same problems, and it's nice to see how they approach it, how the different corps approach the problems, and sometimes you can get some good guidance and some good ideas from the other corps.
0: Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Well, Terry, is there anything you'd like to say just to summarize your episode?
1: I really enjoy this, and I enjoy what you're doing, Mike. It's a lot of work, but I think it's a great way to listen. I was listening to Kevin West the other day, and it's like, wow, what amazing people the Navy chief you had on too. So just keep up the good work. And before I end, I just want to say one thing. I just want to say the people of Kingston, the people of CFP Kingston, our thoughts and prayers are with the families of Patrice Vincent Agenda Vincent, and Corporal Nathan Cirillo. And hopefully they'll make it through these tough times and we'll remember
0: them. Yeah. That's how i like to end. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Terry, for taking the time to be a guest on the show. And I look forward to seeing you at our next encounter and I don't know when that will be because my term will be wrapping up soon, but hopefully you'll at least have the flexibility in your schedule to see me on my way. We'll make that plan after we're done recording. All right, Mike. Take care. See you again. See you soon. You bet. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at MikeLacroix cmhp at gmail.com Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.CanadianMilitaryHistoryPodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. The next time you're considering buying something from Amazon.ca, please visit Canadian Military History podcast website and click on my Amazon link. A small portion of your purchase goes directly towards the support and maintenance of the podcast. However, your great price from Amazon doesn't change. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. N-Tag music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Mike Lacroix Productions, the Government of Canada, or the Department of National Defence. This is a Mike Lacroix Production.